Ula the, the, uh, the canal, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came, to, came up last. And I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great." And I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. In verse 6, he came to the ram um, with the two horns which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and the, broke his two horns, and the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down on the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from the power. Then the, great, the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong and the great horn was broken, and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. Verse 9. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offerings were taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary were overthrown, was overthrown. And a host was given over to it, together with the regular burnt offerings, because of transgressions. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one say to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? the transgression that makes desolate, des desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Verse 15, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the, of the Ullah, and he called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But it said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Verse 18. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up and said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. And for the ram that you saw was two horns, and these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. And as for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from, its, from his nation, not with his power. And at the latter end of the kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limits, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, but he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints." By his cunning he shall make deceitful prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evening and the morning that has been told is true, but stilled up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Verse 27, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, even though it's difficult to understand. I'll be honest, Lord, uh, 
this passage has been difficult for me to, to understand at times and confused and felt very similar to, Paul, to Daniel, kind of confused and appalled, not knowing really what the purpose of it is. But it is in your word, Lord. It is in the Bible. It's, you've given it to your people to understand more about you and your will and your sovereignty and who you are and what you're doing in the world. So, Lord, I pray that we come to this passage humbly, Lord, seeking to understand you and, under, and seek your face. Lord, we come this morning, some of us you know, like myself, having a Son of David week, just crying out to you, Lord, for grace. Calling out to you, Lord, for mercy and love, even though we do not deserve it. Even though our sins were brought before us in a very real way this week, Lord, we ask, Lord, how wretched we are, but we ask, Lord, that you would save us and, and redeem us and cleanse us. But Lord, I pray that you would give us a repentant heart. If you come in, whoever's in, the people that are in this room, Lord, I ask that you would give them a repentant heart. A heart of humility, Lord. Lord, that you would break them of their sin and lead them to saving grace. Lord, I, I, I'm honest. I, I stand here and, and very similar to the psalmist in Psalm 79. How long, Lord? How long shall we wait, Lord, for you to uh, save your, your saints? A lot of our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, are suffering and and dying, and having a difficult time even worshiping you, and coming together, and gathering together for worship. How long, Lord, will you let your enemies attack your people? How long, Lord, when will your salvation come? When will your son return, Lord? Lord, we ask that you would give us endurance and perseverance, Lord, at this time. We pray for that for our brothers and sisters around the world as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we pray for Pleasant Valley Community Church in Owensboro, Kentucky. Lord, we thank you for uh, Jameis Edwards and Brandon and Jeremy and the other elders and pastors of Pleasant Valley. Lord, I pray that you would use them, Lord, to reach many people with the gospel in Owensboro and beyond. Lord, I pray that they would uh, plant churches across the country, across the world. Use them, use their people. That, they're, that the, the people in their church, if they're struggling in sin, Lord, use them, lose the leaders and the pastors. They would grow spiritually. Lord, I pray that that church would be a church that lasts generations and generations. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This, this has not been an easy passage to preach by any means. I mean, you just, we just read it. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here that is difficult to understand. And um, for someone who has not been preaching for very long, this is the, the first time I've ever preached Daniel chapter 8. And, and uh, there's just a lot going on here that you're trying to understand well, what's the point of all this. Like, why do, why do we in the 21st century, sitting here in Evansville, Indiana, what, 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 what is this chapter, what, what value does it bring us? What hope does it bring us? I know for, the, for Israel and, and for, for the, the, the Israelites during the exile, during the time of Daniel, this chapter meant a lot. It, it basically presented to Israel what God was going to do in the coming years and decades. And that God was going to bring suffering on his people, but he was going to persevere and restore his people. And so, I want to talk about that. I kind of titled this, this sermon, The Mad King. 
And uh, Caliglia is, uh, the, is one of the, was the third emperor of Rome. And that actually is not his name. It's a nickname that uh, basically his father was a general, and his father's army gave him this name when he was a young boy because his mother would dress him up in uh, soldier's uniform, and he had these little, little boots on. And that's what uh, Caliglia means, is little boots. But his real name is uh, uh, Gaius Julius Caesar, named after Julius Caesar. And uh, again, he's the third emperor of Rome. His, his father, German, uh, Germanicus, was a Roman hero. He was a Roman general. He was very similar to Maximus from the movie uh, Gladiator, a great general of the Roman Empire. And that was who his father was. And his father was a great hero. And people celebrated his name. And Tiberius, the emperor at the time, pers- uh, assassinated Achilles' father. And so Caliglia, Gaius Julius Caesar, was given absolute power by the Roman Senate when he was 24 years old. When Tiberius died, this was the, the emperor during the time of Jesus' birth uh, and during Jesus' life. He, he reigned from about 17 AD to 41 AD. When he died, he gave his crown, his throne, to Caliglia. And he was given, again, absolute power. And he was, at first, loved by the people. Because of, because of his father, his father being a, a war hero, when, when, when he became king, when he became emperor, the people celebrated. They gave, and so because of his, when he was first king, he actually lowered taxes, and the people loved him. He provided games and entertainment for the people. But he started, after a while, after his first six months, eight months in power, he started to become mad. He was, he was actually quoted saying, remember, he would say this to his, his, his soldiers, to his people, to his servants, to his women. He would say, remember that I have the right to do anything to anybody. He felt absolute power. He, he believed he could do anything that he wanted. If he wanted to kill someone, he could kill them. If he wanted to have sex with someone, he could have sex with them. He could, he could do whatever he wanted. No one could control him. No one could tell him no. He believed he could do anything to anyone. He literally, he was so, uh, he wasted so much money, he would feed his guests meat and wine made from gold. And he would actually drink. He would actually take pearls and they would smash them into a powder and he would, they would put it in vinegar and he would drink actual pearls. He was crazy. He, he exercised power. Power was intoxicating to him. The, the belief to be able to do whatever he wants to whoever he wanted to was intoxicating. He executed his political rivals. He made families. He made families watch the execution of their family members. So if he made a child be killed, he made the mother and the father watch. And he was crazy. He indulged in any and every desire. He told his wife that he could cut her neck any time that he wanted. So he would kiss her neck, and he would literally whisper in her ear, I could cut your neck if I wanted to. He would say this to her constantly. He demanded that the... Uh, he actually... This is, this is rumored that he actually wanted to make his horse a, a senator. He wanted to actually take his horse. He said, you people, you sinners are so stupid and so worthless. I could put my horse in power and he would do better than you. And he was crazy. He demanded, this was later on, he demanded that the Senate worship him as a living God. Usually the emperors would be worshipped after they died. 
he actually declared that he should be worshipped while he was living. He actually believed he was a living God. He would actually go and commune with Jupiter and the other Roman gods because he believed he was equal to them. He had a temple built for himself. He believed he was equal with the gods of Rome. He ordered that a statue of himself be placed in the temple in Jerusalem. Like That is controversial, of course, because God, the Israelites worship the, 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 the invisible God, the God that doesn't have an image. And he said, why don't you put an image of myself in their temple and make them worship me because I'm a God? Caligula was eventually assassinated, and on that day, he learned quite quickly that he wasn't a god. All of his statues were destroyed in Rome and across the empire because people hated him. I mean, he was crazy. He was a mad king. He, did, he, killed, he killed many, many people, and he was mad. There's other mad kings of history. There was a king in Sweden, King Eric the, the, uh, the 14th, who was, who was crazy. Um, he would actually walk down the halls of his palace with his sword out, looking for someone to kill. Like, he would see a servant. If they looked at him in a weird way, he would kill them. His father was also crazy. He would run down the halls naked with knives, just chasing people. Mad men are a fact of history. There's many, many more that I could have said. We even go back to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. He was driven to madness as well. The Lord had regarded Abel's offering, but Cain, his offering, he did not have regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. The desire is for you, but you must rule over it. When Cain and his brother were in the field, Cain killed his brother. He actually killed his own brother. Sin and madness entered the world. The king in Egypt, in Exodus chapter 1, decided to enslave the Hebrew people. He says they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burden. As if slavery wasn't severe enough, he ordered that the Hebrew midwives murder the infant sons after birth. Madness is recorded throughout the biblical story. King Ezai in 2 Kings 16.3 did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he even burned his own son as an offering to the heathen gods. He actually took his own son, an heir, right? I mean, you, you know history, right? Like, kings love sons. King Henry VIII murdered uh, wives and divorced wives just to have one son to have an heir. This king offered his actual heir to the heathen gods. Madness. King Manasseh of Judah in 2 Kings 21 built altars to heathen gods. He also burned his children to the pagan gods of the region. He burned his own kids. He killed them to offer them to the heathen gods. Madness. Sin leads to madness. Sin leads to madness. This is, this is a, a common theme throughout the Bible, throughout history, that sin leads to madness. So we're introduced in Daniel 8 to another madman. Daniel had this vision. He had a vision of a ram with two horns. One horn was shorter than the other. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a vision of a goat from the west with a horn. And then he broke the ram and became extremely great. And the great horn was broken. And then four horns grew out of the, of the goat. The four kingdoms representing Greece and Macedonia, Syria, Egypt, and Asia Minor. Basically, the Greek Empire after Alexander the Great's death 
split into four different kingdoms because Alexander the Great didn't have an heir. He was very young. He was only 30, in, his young, in his early 30s when he died. So this Daniel sees this vision of a little horn. We see this similar in Daniel chapter 7, this little horn. It grew exceedingly great towards the south, the east, and the glorious land, referencing to the Holy Land or the Promised Land, the land of Israel or Palestine. And he trampled on the host of heaven, talking about Israel's army. And uh, even in Exodus 7, chapter 4, the host uh, is talking about God's people. Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. So host is, 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 is referring to God's people, and this little horn will trample on God's people. Even like he takes away regular burnt offerings of Israel. The sanctuary was overthrown. The temple was overthrown. A profane truth was thrown to the ground. He attacked, this little horn attacks God. He attacks God's people, God's temple, God's priesthood, and God's law. But what does this have to do with us? I mean, Alexander the Great, we know about Alexander the Great, but he died like in 300 and something BC. That happened a long time ago. We know about the Greek Empire, but didn't the Roman Empire take over and like replace the Greek Empire? That happened so long ago. Why do we need to read this? Why do we need to study this? Why do we even need to preach this? What does God have for us from this passage? Well, the vision kind of continues, or the chapter kind of continues. It says, understand, O son of man, the vision is for the time of the end. So basically, Daniel has seen this vision, and he has no idea what it means. So he asks, what does it mean? And Gabriel, the angel of God, we know Gabriel because he's in the story of Jesus. He goes to Mary, the mother of Jesus, so we know about Gabriel. Gabriel is one of the angels of God, messenger of God. The ram represents uh, the kings of Media, the kings of Persia. The goat is the king of Greece, the first king being Alexander the Great. The four kingdoms shall arise from his nation. And this little horn, which is a lot of this chapter is about this little horn, which is weird. Like, I mean, what, what, is a, what is this all about? Why is this important to us? It says that this king had a bold face. And what this king, who this king is, is Anakis IV. He actually nicknamed himself God Manifest. I mean, he believed he was a living God. He actually gave himself the title of God Manifest. He ruled during 137 BC, again, a long time ago. And he desired to rule Egypt. So he conquers Egypt. He conquers them and he takes some of their spoils. So Anakis IV was king of Syria. So they're about the eastern part of the Greek Empire. Well, he wanted more power. So he came to Egypt and conquered the king and his realm. So he could have more power, more money, more spoils. Then he also attacked Israel and, and Jerusalem in 143 BC. He entered into proudly into the sanctuary. He took away the golden altar, he all the vessels from the temple of God. In his own mind, he shall become great. He wanted to be great. He wanted to have, he wanted to have great power and wealth and influence and authority in the world. It says that not only was he bold, but he also was clever. It says that he understood riddles, he was intelligent. His power shall be great, Gabriel says. Not from his own power, but he shall cause fearful destruction. He'll destroy mighty men, the people who are the saints. He will actually kill God's people. He will take spoils from the people. He will burn the city. 
who actually burns the city. He let lawless men slaughter innocent blood in the city of Jerusalem. He will make the deceit prosper under his hand. The lawlessness will prosper under his rule. And so he, this is actual facts. He wrote the entire kingdom, his entire kingdom. This is what he says. He writes this letter to all the people of his kingdom. It's like, this is like a Donald Trump tweet or like uh, something that, it's a, it's a speech. Something that we kind of refer, we, we see like a, a, state of the, state of a state of the state of the union address. This is what he's doing. He, he's giving his state of the union. He's going to tell the people what he's going to do and what they're going to do. And he says that he desires all the people of his realm to be one people. Okay. That everyone should leave their laws. Basically, he's saying that the laws of Israel and the laws of the Hebrews are dead. They no longer exist. They're no longer relevant. They no longer have any authority. His laws are the only laws that matter. He says, many of the Israelites will consent to the Greek religion and sacrifice to idols and profane the Sabbath. Israel was not allowed to burn offerings in the temple. They weren't able to sacrifice. So during the Passover, they were unable to or not allowed to, to, to present the, the lamb for the, for the salvation of the whole people. Instead, altars would be set up with idols and sacrifices would be made with pigs. Now, if you know anything about Israel, they don't eat pigs. It's, a, it's an unclean animal. So Anakis made that the sacrifices that will be done in the temple of God, the temple of Israel, will be pigs, unclean animals. They actually were told that they had to burn other unclean animals. Children should be left uncircumcised. So no longer should Israelites, uh, males, show the mark of being Israelites. If children were circumcised, the parents would be killed and the infants would be hanged. The law of God should be forsaken, he ordered. All, and, and all did not obey the king's order, we'd be put to death. And they burned the law of God with fire, and anyone found with the Torah, God's law, will be put to death. A great madness was unleashed on Israel during his realm. This is what Daniel sees, and this is what's going to happen to Israel. How long will this happen? How long will God allow this mad king to just do whatever he wants to God's people? Well, he also sees in the vision that this, this king, this little horn, will be broken, but not with human hands. It will be broken, meaning he will, his reign will come to an end. He will die. He will lose his power, which is what he did. He actually died in 149 B.C. from illness after a defeat in Persia and receiving news of Israel's uprising against his army. Judas Maccabean uprising against Anakis brought peace back to Jerusalem. If you know about the holiday Hanukkah, that that is because of of this um, because of this time and this event, this revolution. The temple was cleansed from the abominations of Anakis. A new altar was built in to replace the one that was defiled by Anakis' decrees. They began offering sacrifices according to the law to the Lord again. God was worshipped again in the temple, and God again delivered his people. This is what Judas says. This is, Judas, this is great. They should make a movie about Judas Maccabean because it like, comes right out of Braveheart. This is what he says. He says, Arm yourselves and be valiant men, and see that you be in readiness against the morning, that you might fight with these nations that are assembled together against us to destroy us in our sanctuary. For it's better for us to die in battle than to behold the calamities of our people in our sanctuary. That should be like in a movie, right? That's like Mel Gibson, like, like it's all over that. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather die than any calamities happen to God's people or God's temple. Nevertheless, as the will of God is in heaven, so let him do 
So God's will, as we see here in Daniel 8, was God would bring restoration to the sanctuary, to God's people. God fulfilled his promises that we, we see in Daniel chapter 8. It's important that we identify that all of these events as shown to Daniel will happen after God has brought his people back to the promised land. And the events of Anakin IV are not a judgment on God by God. I think it's important that you understand that, that we don't see God continuing to judge his people through Anakin IV. Unlike the actions by the Babylonians and the Nebuchadnezzar, where God used the nation of Babylon and the king of, 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 to judge his people's sin and idolatry, similar to Job, where God allowed or permitted evil to fall on Job, Job was not being judged. Israel is not being judged by God here. What's happening is God is allowing or permitting the madness of Anakin IV to fall on his people, but as with Job, he will restore their fortunes. That's the vision even ends that there will come an end to this madness and that God's people will be restored. Which, the reason why I told you all that history about the Maccabean War is because God did bring peace and prosperity back to Israel. So what else can we learn from this passage? Again, what can we learn from this passage? We're still trying to figure out what is there to learn from this passage and the vision of the little horn of the madness of Anakin IV on the people of Israel is a demonstration of the nature of sin. That's what I think is going on here that we can gather from this, is that we can learn about the nature of sin. Because here's what we tend to do with evil men or evil people, is we say, well, that's not me, that's Hitler. Hitler was crazy. Hitler was mad. Anakin IV was mad. Caligula was mad. So, that's different than me. I'm, I'm not like real, I'm not conquering and pillaging, right? That's not me. I'm not you know going down the streets and just breaking into people's homes and stealing their things. That's not my life. So what is there to learn? And I think what we have here is the madness of sin. That sin, un, uh, unattained and, 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 and allowed to just to, to just without being uh, handled or controlled, sin will lead to madness. So we, did, we see a demonstration of sin. Uh, going to Daniel chap, I mean Romans chapter 7, we see Paul helps us in his writing on the nature of sin. And, and Paul says that God's law is holy, his commandments are holy and righteous and good. So God's law is not the problem here. Uh, God is good and his word is good. The problem is you and I. Sin produces in all of us, in me and you, all kinds of covetousness and anger and idolatry. Paul says that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, therefore sold under sin. Sin dwells within me, for nothing good dwells within me. Therefore we should not trust ourselves, but trust the one who is good. My flesh is an enemy of God that produces nothing good or righteous. Another law, Paul says, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He sees this law. He says God's law, which is he knows, he understands, he knows that he's supposed to follow it, he knows he's supposed to obey it. But then he sees this other law, waging war within him. And what he's identifying here is the law of sin. That you have these two powers, two authorities, two things that are trying to control him. The one leads to life, the other one leads to madness. The law of sin that wages war against us, against our better nature, and it produces evil. It produces death. 
and that produces madness. Anakis IV didn't get born and say, you know what? I'm going to be a king, and I'm going to be crazy, and I'm going to kill everybody I see. That's not what he, he didn't grow up. He didn't, he wasn't born thinking that. Thing with Caligula, he didn't like, he wasn't born as a child going, you know what? I can't wait to be able to kill people. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what happened. But sin leads to madness. Paul writes that the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What were the sins of Anakis the fourth? Number one is he manipulated his abilities. Verse 23, it says that he was a man of boldness, a man of cleverness, a man of intellect. The law of sin is a power. It wants to control you. It's a force. If a dinosaur walked in here, we would have no, we would not be able to control it, right? It, it would be a power in this room that would wreck heaven. It would push down these pews. It would destroy the computer in the back. It, would, it may hurt one of us or trample one of us. There's no, we have no ability to control it. And sin is a force. It's a power that is, that is hard to control. And so Anakis had this courage. Courage is a good thing. Boldness is a good thing. Intellect is a good thing, but it was manipulated to be used for madness. He utilized his, his gifts and his abilities for his own rewards. His vision for his life was power. He wanted power. The law of sin promised him wealth, power, pleasure, glory, and wisdom if he trampled on the people and killed to sit on the throne. He wanted power, and he will do anything that, 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 that would give him power. If that meant killing, if that meant pillaging, if that meant telling people they couldn't worship their God, then that's what he did for power. If he did what, he was, what was right and honorable, he would, be, he, would be, he would consider himself a disgrace, or he potentially may have been overthrown. He would fail to reach his goals. The law of sin promises us rewards if we go against God and His Word. If it, if it, threats, it threatens punishment and suffering if we go against the law of sin. There will be a day that will come that when you're a Christian, that it, it might prevent you from keeping or getting a new job. They may say, well, you're a Christian and we think that's wrong and we don't think, we're not going to hire you. Or you're going to lose your job if you don't give up your faith. A day will come when your Christian faith prevents you from keeping certain friends or certain networks of people. You will go, well, if I don't worship God, if I didn't go to church, if I don't talk about publicly my faith, I could probably keep these friends. I can keep these network of people. I can keep my job. Maybe I'll be able to get a better job. There'll be more money, more influence, more power. People will think you're mad for being a Christian. Madness. Who wants to be known as mad? Who wants to be known as, as unmoral because they believe in a God of the universe who says certain things and his word says certain things and you disagree with it and people in the world disagree with it. Therefore, they think you're mad for believing it. And so therefore, you don't get a job. You don't get a raise. You don't get a promotion. You don't get to keep your friends. And the law of sin says, just don't believe it anymore. If you want wealth, if you want power, if you want glory, if you want influence, don't believe in God because it comes with a cost. It brings suffering. Even in your own life, right? We use our abilities for our own gain. We use our intellect to earn our own rewards. Wealth equals respect. Power equals influence. So our abilities are not harnessed to bring God glory, but glory to ourselves. Why do you work hard? Honestly, why do you work hard? We're Americans, right? We all work hard. We say that. Why do you work hard? 
Honestly, ask yourself that question. What is your motivation for working hard? Why do you earn those degrees by your name? Why? Why? Have you ever thought about why are you seeking and sleeping very little and staying up all night to, get, to do right papers? And what is your motivation? For a lot of us, it's because we want wealth. We want power. We want influence. We want respect. We're manipulating our abilities. The flesh hates God, but it resists every way to try to taste, know, and love God. Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Anarchists and ourselves fail from the same deception of Satan. Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that when you eat of, your, eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do not listen to God, and you will be rewarded. Anarchists believe that. Others believe that. Don't listen to God. Don't follow his word, and you will be rewarded. If you listen to God, you won't receive what you earned or what you deserve. The second sin is fearful destruction. He manipulated his, abil his abilities, and his sin led to destruction. Sin will cause fearful destruction. James 1.14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires, when it was conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What was the, the consequence or the result of Anakis' sin, of his madness? He, he, uh, he, he profaned the temple of the... He, he, he um, destroyed the law. He profaned the temple... He trampled on the law of God. He disrupted, he disrupted worship of God. Sin brings forth death. What did Romans 5, 12, Paul says, The sin of Adam brought sin into the world and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. The law of sin pollutes the temple of God. The garden that Adam and Eve lived in was a temple. God dwelled there and sin polluted it. The law of sin tramples the word of God. The law of sin hates God's word. The law of sin refuses to submit to it. The, the Matthew 22, 5, Jesus is giving a parable and he says, He goes, send out your other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. We don't, we, this law of sin that rages within us hates the word of God. And, and though it doesn't listen to the word, it tramples on the word of God constantly. And the law of sin disrupts worship of God, right? When we think about our own sin, we think about, oh, well, I need to do this, I need to be a better Christian. You never, think, you never say anything particular. You never say, well, you know what? I need, uh, my life needs to bring glory to God. Therefore, I'm going to speak to my wife better. I'm going to work on speaking to my wife better because I know if I speak to her better, then I will glorify God. Or you say, you know what? I, I really want to love my neighbors well. I really want to reach out to them and, and invite them into my home. And so you particularly plan that. You don't go, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but you don't ever really put any plans together. That's trampling worship. That's disrupting worship. You're spiritually lazy and without vision. And I have that problem, like really just being spiritually lazy, going, you know, I know I really need to work on that. I need to read my Bible more consistently. I need to pray more consistently. I need to, I need to share the gospel more consistently. But I say it, but I never put any particulars behind it. It's spiritual laziness. And we disrupt worship because the, the flesh in us says, you don't really want to pray. You would rather watch Netflix more. You really don't want to read the Bible more. You'd rather just hang out with your friends or... Watch Netflix more. 
You don't really want to share the gospel with your friends because that would be awkward. And like you would rather just hang out and just talk about Netflix or talk about sports. And, and that, that's the law of sin saying, you don't really want to do that. We were created to be worshipers of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And sin only brings destruction. Anarchus killed many people. His hunger for glory and power brought destruction. He led, it led to revolution. Sin destroys. You may not slaughter an entire people, but sin does break things. It breaks things. Sexual sins breaks things. It breaks up families. It destroys families. Ethical sins causes people to lose their jobs. Sins of passion, of anger, lead to murder, lead to other things, hatred. Sin breaks things. Sin causes brokenness. The last sin of Anarchus is self-centeredness. In his own mind, he shall become great, verse 25. If we have learned anything from our study in Daniel, God exalts kings and nations for his own purposes and wills. It's not because those guys are just great. It's because God willed it. You know, the interesting thing about Adam and Eve is they were given all power and glory and wisdom and everything that was good to eat, and he gave them each other, yet that was not enough. It's never enough, is it? And they wanted more. They wanted to be like God, Genesis 3, 5. They wanted glory apart from God. James 1, 14 says that we're lured, lured to thinking that our needs and desires are essential and necessary. We think our needs are more important than everyone else's. So we're lured to think that way. Then we're enticed to believe that our needs and desires are not being met, and something or someone else can fulfill them. So we start to think, well, the people in my life and the things in my life, they're not fulfilling my needs, and I'm, I'm enticed to believe that my needs and desires are important, and so I need to find, them, I need to find a way to, to, to satisfy those, those needs and those wants. So you go outside your marriage, you go outside your faith, you believe that God's not enough, you need something else, some other substance, some other thing to bring you happiness and joy. Something else can fulfill it. Even pornography is a belief that you're not getting satisfied in, what you, in the relationship you're in. If you're married and you're a man and you're struggling with pornography, it's because you don't think your wife is satisfying enough. You're not satisfied enough by what God's given you, so you seek something that God doesn't give you to make you happy, to satisfy you. We conceive that the only course of action is sin, actually. We think that worshiping God and listening to God is not going to satisfy us, so we conceive in our minds that the course of action is actually sin, and disobey God. So then sin is birthed. Actions, thoughts, words, that's the sin. But it started way before then. Death and destruction results when sin is fully grown. I want it, I desire it, I can get it, and I have it. You refuse to give it up. Anarchus, it was power and glory which leads to self-centeredness. What leads you to self-centeredness? What do you crave above all else in this world? That's a question you should ask yourself. Because if you don't crave God, you crave other things above God, then you have a sin issue. If it's sex, that's your sin issue. If it's alcohol, if it's, if it's money, if it's, satisfaction, if it's uh, significance in this world, if it's power, it's something. If you crave it more than God, then it's a sin issue. And if it is fully grown, it will lead to madness. What do you crave above all else in this world? What leads you to self-centeredness? That you say, I have to have it. And if I don't get it, I will fight for it. They, uh, Paul talks about this sin and the nature of sin, and he asks, who will save us? Oh, wretched man that I am, what hope do I have? 
This law of sin is raging in me. What hope do I have? He says it's in Christ Jesus. I love this passage here in Daniel 8. It says that Anakis was broken. He will be broken, it says, but not by human hands. But it's so interesting, that phrase, he will be broken, but not with human hands. You want to be broken. You want to be broken by God. You want repentance to be brought into your life. You, you think of John chapter 3 when, when Nicodemus says, well, how, should I be, how, how can a man be born again? Only through the Spirit of God can someone be born again. Acts chapter 2, when the people of, of Israel were, were uh, they understood their sin, and they looked to, they were like, how, 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 how can we be saved, Peter? And they, he said, what? Repent and be baptized. Be broken. Acts 16, the, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, he cries out, and how shall I be saved? And when they say repentance and faith in Christ Jesus, brokenness. Romans 6, death of our old selves and resurrected in newness and in life in Christ. If you're a king or queen of your own kingdom, using your own abilities for your own needs and to further your own name, make yourself great, glorify yourself. If you're seeking your, only, you're, you're seeking your own happiness, stepping over others, putting your ones over, uh, doing what is right and good and loving, bringing destruction on, on relationships, your kingdom will eventually fall. Anakis the fourth kingdom eventually fell. His his, his, his uh, vision of seeking only glory for himself eventually failed. Every knee shall bow before Christ in this life or the life to come. And for Anakis, he will bow before Christ. Unfortunately, it's too late. Brokenness that leads to eternal life in Christ or brokenness that leads to judgment by Christ. Those are the two options. For Anakis the fourth, he was broken because he, he was judged by God. Will you be broken that leads to eternal life in Christ Jesus? The people of Israel during the time of the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, they were broken, which led to eternal life. Anakis the fourth kingdom eventually fell and judgment became his fate because his sin was great against God and he never abdicated his throne to God. Abdicate your throne to, to Christ. Give it up. It's going to eventually fall. All the things that you have gained and all the things that you're seeking will eventually fall. Your kingdom that you think you own, you're the king and the queen of your own kingdom, it will eventually fall. But you want it to fall because you're repentant and you recognize that your, your kingdom is literally sitting on sand and on the house of cards and not sitting on the rock of Christ. And if it's sitting on the rock of Christ, you are princes and princesses of his greater kingdom. That is far better than a kingdom of house of cards. God created you with glory. He put a crown on your head. He gave you dominion. He gives you glory. He gives you power. He gives you life. He gives you wealth. But you have to be broken before him to receive it. Christ Jesus restores us. He restores us to be a temple of God. We're a temple of God. We're a temple of the living God in Christ Jesus. The law of God has been placed on our hearts because of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has made us holy and blameless, and he's presented us to his Father, and our lives in Christ are worshipped to, to God. You know, just as a way to conclude, um, we're singing Son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know about you, but I've had, like, again, a Son of David week, where I've had to ask a lot of mercy to God, and asking God for grace. I've sinned a lot this week. I've felt it this week. 
This, this, this passage, while confusing and difficult, brought up a lot of things in my heart that I am just as much of a wretched man as Andy the fourth. I want fame. I would be lying to you if I didn't. I want to be in a church with a thousand plus people. If I said I wasn't that person, I'd be lying to you. I want, I'm full of jealousy. If someone came up here and preached a better sermon than me, I would be full of jealousy. I want power and influence just like anyone else. I'm guilty of utilizing my abilities for my own glory, not the glory of God. I'm guilty of self-centeredness all the time. And at the end of this, if you're not broken and say, I'm broken, I am a wretched man, what hope do I have? And then I turn to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who bled and died for my sin, my lust, my jealousy, my self-centeredness. If I don't come to that moment of brokenness, then I will be judged. And if you are at that place, if you don't look to Christ and are broken, like literally broken, if you don't come to that point, you will be judged. And you can disagree with me all you want. You can say, well, that's not true. God is too loving to do that. I'm telling you that he offers salvation through his son. And if you are not repentant, if you don't put, get on your knees and say, wretched man that I am, the law of sin in me is ravishing me and killing me. I need to be saved. And if you don't look to Christ, you will stay in that state. You will stay there. So I want to just plead with you. You may have heard the gospel a million times in your life, but maybe you've never believed it, that you would look to Christ. There is a law of sin that is ravaging in you, and you are prone to madness. And if you don't fall on your knees in brokenness to God and say, Lord, will you save me? Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. If you don't say that, then your sin will be fully grown and it will lead to madness and you will be so far away from God that he will not call you back. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, this passage is, is, we can read it and, and kind of ignore a lot of the details in this passage, Lord. We can see Anakis IV, we can see the little horn, we can say, oh, he's crazy, he was mad king, he was evil, he killed people, I'm not like that. And we miss the bigger issue with, uh, with ourselves, the nature of sin. That sin leads to madness. And we all are sinful. We all have the nature of sin that flows through us, Lord, because of, our, because of Adam, death spread to all men. We stand here condemned in our sin, and our only hope is Christ Jesus. Our only hope, Lord, is to look to Christ, to say, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, in need of grace. Lord, I know that there's people in here, Lord, that are, they are far from you. Their lives have been a wreck. Their life has broken many things. Sin breaks things, Lord. Your, your word shows that quite clearly, that sin breaks things. It breaks other people. It affects relationships. It brings judgment consequences, sorrow, and pain. 
But your word says, Lord, it doesn't say, well, fix yourself. Go fix yourself. Go to therapy and fix yourself. Go to rehab and fix yourself. Then come back to me. It says, all those who are heavy laden and and burdenful, I will give you rest. The Son of God, the living God, the one who put the stars in the heavens said, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you are in here and you are heavy laden and you understand the brokenness of your sin and you have many tales to show the examples of how sin has broke things, Lord, break them of their sin today, in this hour, and may they find their rest in Christ alone. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.